0: Oh my. Well, do I have... Let me say two more things and then I'm happy to answer or at least, you know, listen to questions. I don't... I, I answer fewer and fewer when I'm in my right mind. Um, there's um, the business of, the you know, the progression of the disease. There's also the progression of the recovery. People do get well. And it's not willpower and it's not... Anything other than the, the grace of God that comes through the community, I really do believe that. I, I'm i still, a, a, still not an optimistic person. I, I consider myself to be a pessimist with a good attitude. I'm not an optimistic person. Uh, half Swedish and half Irish, and neither group is known for, you know, perky whimsy. Um, in fact, I was talking to, I had visitors this past January... Uh, A fellow in recovery from uh, uh, Sweden, but he's Finnish, and Finns have a a, Finns can be very isolated and very solitary and very dark, in lots of ways. And he was telling the story of you know this story told of a, um, in the great outdoors and you're hunting and there's you got your beautiful mountains and beautiful trees and beautiful water and it's a great day and you shoot yourself. He said it's a very happy fin. <laughs> you go, It's a little dark, but it was such a nice day. You know, you don't want to do it on a bad day. You don't want to do it on yourself. So and a lot of us you know the grief stuff is big for a lot of us. I, I simply can't, I think, underestimate that enough. And I think a lot of us don't know it's grief. We we some of us think we're feeling guilty, but it's grief because of losses. And um Uh, The anger that a lot of us feel, it's grief stuff. And Elizabeth Kubler-Ross will say that a major loss is three to five years. It takes three to five years to go through a major loss. And it comes in waves. It comes in waves. Recent loss, you lose one of your kids or your your spouse or your, your mom and it's just overwhelming, and everything is awful, and a couple of months pass, and you have a good day. And then a couple of months pass, and you have three good days. And then you get through Christmas, and Christmas wasn't so bad this time, and the second Christmas almost kills you. Don't be surprised. You know, so It comes in waves, and every loss is connected to every other loss. It has its own logic. And culturally, we as Americans, we don't do this at all. Stiff upper lip. we t- The Brits are supposed to say that, but we sure do it. You know, come on now. You've been divorced for two months. You should be dating again. You know, right, yeah. Um, th- things really do take time. And say that there's a lot of grief. So there's... Th- this, you know, you lose your mom, and your best friend moves away, and one of your sisters dies, and you handle all that pretty well. You know, you don't, you show up for work, and you know, you're plugging in there, and then uh, something else happens, and it's really, really big, and you handle that, and then you come home and find the canary's dead, and you start sobbing and sobbing and sobbing and cry for four days. And you say, I must be crazy because I'm crying about the canary, but I hand... No, you're not. You're crying about all of it. It, it, It's how it works. And if you have lost a child, you'll probably never get over it. You You don't bounce back from those things, which Americans don't like hearing. You can learn to walk again. You will walk with a limp. But you can learn to walk again. So there's lots of losses. One of my uh, friends, uh, Peggy Z, Peggy's one of the great women on the West Coast, over 40 years of sobriety, now in her early 80s. She's very, very active in recovery and has kids and stuff, and many, many stories about Peggy Z. But she shared at a meeting on New Year's Eve this past year, and she said, um, Oh, she's from Hinsdale, Illinois, (laughs) which I guess is next door, virtually, Hinsdale, Illinois. Yeah, and she, uh, in the 1950s, she went to Stanford uh, in the Bay Area and went to school and got out of Hinsdale and didn't really like drinking, didn't really like alcohol, but there she was and she met Joe, and she didn't even really like Joe that much, but he was persistent and and uh, they got married um and uh, they entered martini world which is very sophisticated it's it's ritualistic it's special this it's special that it's rather elegant and and fancy and she loved martini world and and it almost killed her uh and she she and joe would fight bickering you know And I guess Michael was 10. It was his birthday. And Joe and Peggy just got in another fight and just snarled and barked at each other all night. Peggy comes to the next morning very hungover and goes into the kitchen and Michael's 10th birthday cake is still there. And she goes into Michael's room and he's in the closet. He's hiding. And he says to her, you're crazy. Both of you are crazy. And that was bottom. And her recovery began. And it was a long, slow recovery. And she is. She's such good company. Anyway, uh, Peggy shared New Year's Eve, and here's how she described her journey into alcoholism. She said, uh, uh, Martinis and glory and sophistication. She said, Then I found out uh, I didn't need the olive. And then I found out I didn't need the vermouth. And then I found out I didn't need the glass. 20 years you know it's pretty good (laughs) pretty good description it can take a while to to come back to life and to revive and to find an interest in things and to work through some of the grief and some of the rage and some of the exhaustion and the good news of, of, of recovery is we get to do this with others yeah, That's a great gift of the program is is we're given community. Our own family of origin may be a train wreck. But we can rebuild families. And I like the fact that in recovery we learn how to be friends, companions, and allies. Friends, companions, and allies. And we learn to build bridges instead of blowing them up. And some people really are great bridge builders, and I think they need to be treasured. Um, So those are some thoughts. It's been very nice visiting with you these last uh, hours. Uh, I'm going to head back home tomorrow, and if you come out to the West Coast, let me know. Um, We have meetings in recovery. And be happy to show you around a little bit. I am going to be back in this neck of the woods this summer. There's a retreat that I'm going to lead for people in recovery uh, on June 18, 19, 20, 21 at the White House Retreat in St. Louis, and I think it's for women and men in recovery. Um, and the White House, it's not the one in Washington, D.C., uh, that has a different clientele, and they're very busy (laughs) all the time. Uh, This one is uh, on the banks of the Mississippi. The last time I was there was the uh, uh, flood of the century, and, and water was just going into Kansas forever and ever and ever. And we had some people on that retreat who sandbagged everything to protect everything, and then just came to the retreat because they did everything they could do. And you come and spend those days. I think those days, the, 16, the 18, 19, 20, 21, I think it's a silent retreat. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, you don't have to talk to anybody. There'll be a meeting or two, I would suspect, you know, in the evenings, but if you need some quiet, some solitude, some some serenity, you're sure welcome to come there and you can Google the White House St. Louis and the information will come up. And they do a variety of recovery things over the uh over the year. And I'm going to be um at the International Convention in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm gonna go and hang out there because I think that would fix me. And and I don't think I have another Midwestern thing until, well, in November, um, November 6, 7, and 8, um, that first full weekend of November at the Jesuit Retreat House in Barrington uh, called Bellarmine Retreat House, I'm doing a retreat for people in recovery, uh, and I don't know um, uh, if it's women or men, but that's up there. And then on the 20, 21, and 22 of November, I'm doing a retreat in Belleville, Illinois, wherever that is. I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to show up there because that will keep me sober. And then um, December 2nd to December 6th, we do a, a little extended retreat at in Grand Cato, Louisiana, which is right near Lafayette. And it's for women and men in recovery, and it's a very good thing. And they eat Cajun there, and that's extraordinary. So so there. Any questions or things that people would like to... If not, we can all just go home and take our naps. Naps are very important. Yes, yes, please. Well, you started out in AA, and then you went to Illinois. That's right. I I, I I started out in AA and then went to Al-Anon. I went into Al-Anon through the back door. If I were still drinking, I never would have noticed that I was in trouble. Yeah. People do it the other way too, they go into Al Anon then join AA. Yeah. It's a very open door. <laughs> Mm. You mentioned that uh, we we ask God to have our uh, character defects... Removed. removed. Yes. Why don't we ask him to erase them? Because that's, that's fantasy world. They don't go away. Flesh and blood are real. Space and time is real. And it's not magic. This is called human life. And I don't think... Um, I, I just don't. I, I think there is slow growth, development, and evolution as women and men uh, grow and 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 become real human beings. I don't think it's presto changeo, Harry Potter magic. I think it'd be easier if it were. But I'm very suspicious of anyone who claims presto changeo, Harry Potter magic. Although I like Harry Potter, but I it's it's a movie. Um, <laughs> And I you know the casting of spells and the quick shaping up and join my club, and you will be perfect in a month i 'm suspicious of those folks i 'm suspicious that 's my problem with Scientology and you know any number of other groups that want your money. <laughs> um, perfection is promised, and I would rather have progress. yeah. Oh, yeah, it's right there. It's one millimeter under my skin. No, it's just awful.) But the, but the difference is, I know it's there, and it doesn't catch me by surprise. You know? I mean, I'm aware of it, and I keep an eye on it, and I get a daily reprieve from the worst of my crazy, and I've got crazy as most people do, whom I trust. Some people claim to have no crazy and everything's fine and they're just grateful for every breath. And I'm very happy for them and I don't want to be their friend. I mean, what's scary about Disneyland is there are no dead flowers. That's a warning of something very dark going on there. You know, you need some dead flowers and some weeds and some things that have fallen over and so you know that people live there. You know? Progress, not perfection. Progress, not perfection. And sometimes progress is really small. You know, like they're stealing less this year. Oh, good. You know? Less. Please. Um I noticed something that you said last night that you said um high school students were much like alcoholics. Oh and I have a teenage son. Yeah. And uh, so that that's good that's a good analogy. Just, I think I'll I'll start using my analogy. with my teenage son. Yeah, it'll help. <laughs> well, an awful lot of, of of adult alcoholics act like kids. Mm-hmm. And the theory one of, I mean there's so many theories about everything, but when you start your active drinking, using, acting out, your emotional and psychological growth stops. So you're 45 years old, but you're still 14. You know, or you're still 15. And, and that's why there is so much more to not drinking than just not drinking. And the steps help people grow up. You know, admit you've got a real problem. Stop blaming everybody else and clean up your mess. I mean, that's very grown-up stuff. Instead, it's my mom's fault. (laughs) But yeah, that's right. Just basically treat them like alcoholics. They're moody. They're mercurial. They're self-obsessed. They're whiny. They don't wash. Please. much less fear, much, much less rigidity. I come in pretty rigid and pretty fearful and nothing was my fault. (laughs) And that's changed a lot. Um, I, I think we, we, my understanding of a whole bunch of this is we, we connect with our higher power when we connect with our own humanity. You know, that whole business of incarnation. I mean, I, those are big ideas for me. Creation, you know, all coming from God. Um, so I, I, also, I'm really lucky. When I'm having difficulty with stuff, I have people I can talk to. I know some folks who don't have that option because they're too isolated. And it's really, uh, I think, the end result of alcoholism and drug addiction is you're very isolated. You know, there's no one you can talk to. There's no one you can trust to. Also, if you're too clerical, there's no one you can talk to either. You know, it's a very similar isolation and craziness and some medical people get so isolated i mean you can't trust anyone you can't ask for help because you're the doctor in charge of the unit how can you sign yourself in you know or the nurse who's just you know helped 1200 people get well and there you are shooting up a little heroin, you know during (laughs) during the coffee break um so it's it's the humanity. It's embracing the humanity. Also, I mean, you, people didn't ask, but people wonder, um, uh, what alcoholic priests use at Mass is grape juice because uh, wine kills. You know? And Pope Paul VI gave a special permission to alcoholic priests to use grape juice in 1974. So that's what I encourage people to do. And priests who don't seem to be able to stay sober are usually using wine. I mean, I know it's the real presence of the risen Christ, but my liver has no theology. <laughs> and I just, I, So if, if, if there's just wine in the cup, I pass it by. It's for my own sanity's sake. Yeah. And I help out in the parish. I'll be there Monday morning at 8. And uh, they have a cup for the people, and there's a cup for me. Seems to work. Mm-hmm. Hi, can you talk to us about forgiveness? Forgiveness. I have a tendency to hold grudges. Oh yeah. Um I don't well here, just let's, 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 let's a few minutes on forgiveness, because this is <laughs> a big topic and, and it's tied up with resentments and anger and rage. Um Louis Smedes, L-E-W-I-S, Louis Smedes, S-M-E-D-E-S. I think it's the Dutch spelling for Smith. Uh, He's a minister of the Dutch Reformed Church, and he taught at the Claremont Colleges in Southern California. And he put a book out a few years ago called Forgive and Forget, which is a terrible title because you don't forget. But he didn't come up with the title, the publicity, publishing people did and he talks about this business of forgiveness and um, here's a couple of things he says life is hard and just in the normal course of going through the day we get slapped around, kicked around I mean there are flat tires and you know, planes are late. I mean, life is hard. You get slapped around in the course of a day. That doesn't make you resentful or hateful. But if you have had the experience of someone going out of his or her way to hurt you, that hurt can turn into hate. It's not just that I got hurt. They meant to hurt me. Now, this could be a teacher. This could be a former student. This could be a family member. You know, uh, I was betrayed. And hate, he says, is a dead breath. It really does grow like a cancer. And so the business of forgiveness is not about the other person. It's about ourselves. I need to forgive, not so they sleep better, but so that I do. So it's very selfish. Now granted, I think that's pretty true. Usually, forgiveness is not something we can do by willpower. It is a spiritual experience. Um, And you have to ask God for help help me forgive, help me forgive, help me forgive. And you know you've started to forgive the other person if you can wish them well. Even a little bit. Instead of saying, oh God, give them what they deserve, which is not the same prayer, you know. But to wish them well, even even a little bit. A, a, a Fiddler on the Roof is one of my favorite movies. It's kind of the Jewish version version of the Bells of St. Mary's. Um, you younger people can Google the Bells of St. Mary's. And it's Ingrid Bergman and Bing Crosby. I mean, it's a perfect film. Um, they say, is there a prayer for the Tsar? And, and the Russian government was ferociously anti-Semitic for I mean, they were just beyond scary. And the rabbis said, yes, there's a blessing for the Tsar. May God bless and keep the Tsar far away from us. (laughs) And I don't think that's a bad prayer, and I bring that in into some of my forgiveness stuff. There are some people I forgive. That doesn't mean I want to have lunch with them. And Smedes will say this in his book. Sometimes... There's not just forgiveness where you, are, you let them go. and you know, He says forgiving is not um, forgetting. Uh, that's not quite right. He'll say, um, when you forgive someone, you're not saying, oh, don't worry, it didn't hurt. That's not what you're saying. You're saying, it really did hurt. You did break my leg. I will always walk with a limp because of you, and I forgive you. Part of forgiveness is holding them accountable and letting it go. Your behavior really was awful, and I forgive you. Instead of saying, oh, it wasn't so bad. It was only six months in the hospital and, you know, a new leg. Um, no, this is big stuff. Sometimes beyond forgiveness is reconciliation. And that's when you, the family comes together again. That does happen on occasion, like my friend Peggy. Uh, Martini Peggy. Um, one of the reasons the marriage kind of came to an end wasn't just his drinking, it was her gir- his girlfriend. And he wanted to move her into the house, which isn't really all that well thought out, you know, if you think about it. Um, so there were some explosions and, and, and things ended. Um, they spend the holidays together. Of course, it's many years. But thanksgiving they have together, uh, Peggy likes the other lady they get they get along. there has been reconciliation now that happens sometimes, and I when that does happen it's miraculous it seems very generous very generous hearted to me, and I may it never happen to me, but uh, it does happen you know so the forgiveness thing the the softening. Um, one of the reasons our world is so dangerous today is no one forgives we keep score we've always hated them you know and we always will hate them and you have to you ha- the reconciliation has to start inside i guess is in rwanda parts of south africa part of their healing process is getting People who ran the jails and people who were in the jails talking to each other? And people who were committing genocide and people who were being genocided talking together? This is beyond extraordinary. Um, And I I observe that with awe. But I have some some resentments and they come up every so often and there are some people I would just as soon see dead uh, slowly, you know. (laughs) And I need to watch that. And when it comes up, I have to ask for help because there's something sweet about a resentment. It makes me feel powerful. You know, like I have my own nuclear arsenal. And that's not a good thing. So I want to forgive, not for the other person's sake, but for mine. Um, There's a musical, Jacques Brel is alive and well and living in Paris. I'm very drunk when I saw it. Uh, So this is in the early 70s. And there's a song, he has very clever songs. He's Belgian, he writes in French. It's very, very clever stuff. I speak no French, but it's well translated into English. And they're very sharp, um, uh, sometimes uh, dagger-like irony and sarcasm. And he has this young girl singing about, uh, uh, oh, a boy she ran off with and they fooled around and did many, many things. And she says in the song, I remember this and I remember that. And uh, it was a scandal here, and we went to jail, and you treated me really badly. And uh, you thought I'd never live it down. And then the last line is, but I've forgotten your name. (laughs) So that's kind of forgiving, huh? Um, I've forgotten your name. Uh, I thought that was hilarious. I don't want to be mean-spirited, and I can be. And I want to keep an eye on that. And I, 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 I'm an amateur historian, so it's you can look at how mean spirited stuff can be carried for the ages. You know? And I, I, don't want to do that. Uh, how do we um, build the bridge? That's where I want to be. With with foreigners, with domestic stuff. Um, one of the traditions, uh, I, whichever one it was, I'm not good on numbers, you know, political stuff and religious stuff we don't talk about at meetings because we don't agree on any of that stuff and we would have fist fights in the parking lot. <laughs> and if you have a pretty good program and you're a grown up, you can be good friends with someone that you politically disagree with, you don't talk about some things. I have some friends in the program now. I mean, they know my politics, I know their politics, and we love each other, and we're not going to talk about it. Because we're not stupid. You know? um, and religious stuff, people with all these different points of view, can we tolerate and encourage and be supportive instead of, you know, mind are the only people that get to do anything. So, uh, that's, so we keep that stuff outside. Um... Because that doesn't build the bridge. But I remember I, I've had some people that I've just loved and then I found out who they voted for. And I went, <laughs> how can you be that awful? And then I realized this is an outside issue and um, recovery is bigger than that. It has to be bigger than that. Yeah. Or we're just petty, snarling children. That's a lot. Listen, maybe I'll see you in St. Louis or Barrington, Illinois, or one of those other spots. It's very nice to be with you, and um, I'm going to quietly sit down. Thank you.